We are in part five, our final week of our series, uh, Free in the Spirit, looking at the second half of Galatians. And we've been looking at all the way through here, one of the things that we do as human beings, we are naturally religious. Now, I do not mean, when I say naturally religious, that we all have a religion. There are, are people who are agnostic or atheists who are still very religious because as human beings, we are religious. And what I mean is, when we decide the way you're supposed to live, we turn it into a religion. So even if you're an atheist, you don't believe in God, you say, but here's the principles under which you're supposed to live, and this is what people are supposed to do and supposed to follow. And so you even still turn it into a religion, because that's what humans do. And so what has been happening throughout human history, and the Bible records it, is God came along and said, now here's who I am, and here's what matters, and mankind took it, went, that sounds great, we're going to take what you tell us, and we're going to turn it into a religion. And they did such a good job of it in the Old Testament that they turned it into such a religion that they were following that when God himself shows up in person and says, hi, I'm here, they're like, who are you? And you're not following the rules, and we're mad at you, and they killed him. And that's pretty bad when you've taken what God has told you and turned it into a, such a religion that you don't recognize the God who gave it to you. But that's what they did because they had gotten all caught up in turning it into this religion of what they had to do. And so in Galatians, Paul is saying, and that's happening again. You guys are slipping back into that. So over our series, the first thing we looked at is in the second half was the question of heir versus hired. Do you see that you are receiving blessings from God because he has declared you his heir or because you're doing such a good job that you've earned his love, earned his blessing, that you are earning your favor with God? Or do you know that you are favored by God because he loved you and he died for you? So is it based on you or based on him? Then in the second week, we looked at the warning that Paul gives. We're going to come back to it today of being careful of leaders who's tr they're trying to be leaders by turning you into followers. And so they, their goal is that they want to be a leader, and so they need you to be a follower so they can be a leader. And a warning for that, and they'll use the law to do that. Part three, we looked at the idea you can't have a little law, that we say, well, yes, we're saved by the grace of God, we're saved that by the unmerited favor of God, but you also have to, and we start sprinkling in a little law, and that Paul said you can't do that. If you're going to start following those rules as a way to get God's favor, then, then you're out of Jesus and you're totally into following all the rules, all the law. You can't just have a little bit of law. And then last week, we looked at the lists that give the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And in our discussion, we talked about the fact that that list of the fruit of the Spirit, we oftentimes turn into a to-do list of things that we're supposed to try to manufacture, that I'm supposed to take that fruit of the Spirit and try to make those things happen in my life. And that that's not what it says, that these are the results of letting God live through me. Those things will begin to supernaturally occur, but we turn it into a to-do list Again, focusing on our, our work, our performance. So as we got to the end of Galatians 5, Paul is summing up, he's getting near the end of the book, here, the end of the letter, and he makes a statement because he's talked about, so we come together and these are the deeds of the flesh look like this, the fruit of the Spirit look like this, and he says, and we've put to death, verse 24, we've put to death, the passions of the flesh. Remember, that means not merely what we would call sinful passions, as in morally corrupt, but that the passions of the flesh include things that aren't morally corrupt, like hunger, things like that. But when we follow them, lead us 
back into natural versus supernatural. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, then walk or live by the Spirit. And then he says in verse 26, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And he's actually setting up what he's about to say next. Because otherwise it's like, well, why did he just tag that onto the end? Because he didn't end there. Later, somebody stuck a chapter division in there so that we could divide it up to find things. But Paul didn't put a break there. We did. So he's actually setting up his next thought, not ending a thought. This is the beginning of a thought, not the end. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Brethren, even if, I love that, even if, heavens to Betsy, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, What's a trespass? Well, we, we use the same way today. You, you have your property, and you say, this is my property. You're not allowed to go on the property. So if somebody steps over the line onto your property, they are now trespassing. They are now going over the line. They've crossed the line. We use those phrases in our language today. It means to go across the line. Go where you're not supposed to go. Do what you're not supposed to do. So somebody went where they shouldn't have gone, did what they shouldn't have done. If anyone is caught in a trespass... You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Restore such a one with a, period, with a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. He says, all right, so now you form this community, and here's the deeds of the flesh, and these are the spirits, so here's what you don't want to see, here's what you do want to see. He says, and now someone has messed up. They have gone over the line. They've blown it. He says, the rest of you who are spiritual, you're going to restore them with gentleness, looking at yourself, self-reflection, so you won't be tempted. And the question is, tempted to what? You ever asked that question? No. You probably didn't, because you already knew. I knew, because of what we read. What does it mean? Well, they messed up, and you caught them. But as you catch them and restore them with gentleness, well, nice, nice, nice. But make sure that you don't do it too, right? That's how we read it, that you not be tempted by the same thing. That's how I've always read it. I don't think that's the right reading. Because when I read it, again, because part of why I read it is I start in chapter 6, verse 1, because it's a chapter start. And so I ignore chapter 5, verse 26, which is what you're tempted to. He says, do not be boastful. Do not be challenging one another, envying another. And if anyone's caught in sin, restore them with gentleness and look to yourself so you're not tempted. Tempted to what? Be boastful and challenging and envying. Because what happens when you catch someone in a sin? Well, they're wrong. And you don't tend to jump on somebody's sin that you do. That's a support group. But you're like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. And then what happens in your heart? Gently and lovingly. That poor soul. I don't do that. And he says, and you better watch yourself because what happens when you catch someone in a sin? You start feeling better, pretty good about yourself. It's a great way to start feeling that you're doing better because they are doing worse. They're in a trespass. And we become boastful, challenging, envying one another. Well, so that's how I think, that's what I think the temptation is. I think he says, now when you're about to correct someone, you better guard your heart lest you be tempted to what? Think you're better. Not because you could do what they did, 
It's not a matter of what they did wrong. It's the attitude. Just you thinking you're superior is problem enough. Maybe you didn't do it. You know, they, oh, I can't believe they did that. I would never do that. Well, good for you. That is not a source of pride. Oh, I mean, I was very proud that I don't do that. Well, good for you, but that's not, no, that, there's the attitude. I'm better than them. All right, so that's my theory. Now, the question is, is that right? Because that's not how probably most of us read it. We read it as don't be tempted to sin like they did. But is his real point that you won't be tempted towards pride and self-promotion because you see yourself as better? Well, let's see it. He's going to keep talking. Let's see if my theory is borne out in this. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks that he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So yeah, that's his point. He says, so you're going to take care of one another, bear one of those burdens, he says, but don't think that you are something. That's the danger when someone is caught in a trespass. You who are spiritual go, well, not us. And he says, yeah, you've got to watch yourself because when are you going to be most tempted to start focusing on your performance when someone else's performance has failed? That's when it's easy to start going, well, you know, I don't do that. And you can do it nicely and gently and kindly, but your, your own self is going, but in comparison, hmm, I don't do that. He says, guard yourself. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, you are lying to yourself. But, verse 4, each one must examine his own work, and then he, <laughs> then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. In other words, do not be proud of yourself that you're just doing better than the other guy. Look to yourself and don't use somebody else's sin as an excuse to feel like you're doing better. Which we never do as humans, right? We never go, well, at least I don't dot, dot, dot. But that's the hidden, he says, there's the danger. There's the danger of when someone does mess up, because he, what has he said? All the way through here, he says, your, your pleasingness to God is not based on your performance. It's based on God's work, not yours. He says, but then even if someone does mess up, you who are spiritual, as you restore them, with the spirit of gentleness, look to yourself, lest you fall into the trap of boastful self-promotion, envying and comparing. And he's not done yet. So he says, you're being humble. Verse 4, not comparing. Verse 5, because each person is accountable for themselves. In other words, you are not accountable to somehow perform better than the next guy. This is not a race. This is not a competition. And so it's not like, well, I'm, I mean, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than. And that's our whole society now. Our whole society is, well, we may be, we, we're not perfect, but they we're not perfect, but them. I don't have it all together, but. He says, no but. You stand before God on your own. And somebody else's sin is not an excuse for you to start focusing on your performance. So then he builds a new building in verse 6 here. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Now this little phrase here might throw us if we're not paying attention to everything Paul's been talking about as far as how the church as a community works. Because again, and he's going to come back to this in a minute as we get down into verse 12, he's warning again about what happens in a group in the church 
with between leaders and followers, where it begins to become hierarchical, where the leader is above. And so here, those who are spiritual start seeing themselves as better and them as worse. And so here he says in verse 6, the one who receives, the one who's being taught, should share good things with the one who teaches him. Here's this relationship that the teacher needs something from the one being taught. You're going to share good things with one another. You guys are in a relationship, not over each other. Verse 7, then he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. What does he mean? Verse 8, sorry, this clicker still doesn't work. Verse 8, the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life. And what is he talking about to the flesh? Remember, we've talked about this. He's not talking about just sinful things you might want to do. He's talking about the desires of your physicality, which will lead you into sin, but aren't necessarily sinful to start with. Self-preservation is a huge desire of the flesh. It by itself is not sinful. In fact, sometimes it's a very good thing. God gave you that desire so that you sense danger. But when we elevate self-preservation over loving our neighbor, then it becomes selfishness. Hunger, legitimate need. You ignore hunger too much, you could die. But however, when you place hunger as the center of your body, the center of your being, when you are deciding based on what your body wants, then you are selfish. That's what we talked about last week. And he says, so if you sow to that, if your life is about you, you're going to reap corruption. It must again be centered on the spirit on Jesus, not just your spirit, the spirit, Jesus. And this is what brings eternal life. Verse 9, he says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, so what are we supposed to be doing? Let us do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. So right now, what we're supposed to do, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the goal. He says, so do good everyone, especially starting in the household of faith. We'll come back to that idea in a couple minutes. Then in verse 11, he makes an interesting observation that's just kind of an aside. Because from 11 on, and this happened a lot, it wasn't just Paul who did this, but they oftentimes these guys would have a, a guy who did the writing. Professional scribe. The term is amanuensis. That would be good for Jeopardy one night, maybe. All right. But it just means the person who did the writing, dic took dictation. But then oftentimes when they used an amanuensis, when they used a secretary, they would, the, the actual writer would step in at the end and like sign it or write a couple words themselves. And Paul does this here in 11, and he says, and you can tell it's me because I use big, write, I use big letters, which is another hint that maybe his eyesight was bad. And so he wrote in large print. But he says, now you can tell this is my own hand. That's what he says in verse 11. But he goes on, he's got one more point, and it's not a new point, it's an old point. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. He says these guys are looking to put on a good show, and it's not even about themselves, it's about you. And they are trying to fit in with the, right now it was the Jewish establishment, it says they're trying not to be persecuted, they don't want to get in trouble with the Jewish establishment that was still trying to follow the law. It says, but it's not even about them following the rules, it's about them being able to make you follow the rules. And then he uses what doesn't translate well, 
it's a, again, I told you, they clean the thing up for you. The translators went, ah, oh, we don't want to upset those nice church people, so we won't translate it quite literally. So he says, um, they, desire, they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. And the picture that Paul is painting is uh, they took the results of the circumcision physically and hung them on their wall as a trophy. Uh, yeah, thank you. All God's people went, ugh. Which is why the translators kind of went, let's just neaten that up a little. But Paul's being very graphic here. He says they want to get circumcised so they can hang them on the wall and say, look what we did. Look, look, at, look at the benefit of our ministry. Look at how successful we've been, how many people we've converted, so we're going to hang them. And it's like, so the translator said, well, we don't want to upset those nice church people. We won't, we won't put that that way. So it just says that they may boast in your flesh. And Paul says, so he says, this is all about them boasting. They want you as a trophy. This is, and this is why verse 6, when he says, this is, it's supposed to be in a relationship where the one receiving the benefit shares it with the person giving the benefit. And this is, this is you guys working together, not a power relationship. This is about them boasting, which immediately brings us back to verse 26, right? Where he said, don't be like that. Don't be, don't have your relationships be challenging one another and boasting. That's not how your dynamic is supposed to work. He says, that's how their dynamic works. He says, but for me, verse 14, but may it never be that I would boast. That's not what I'm in it for, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I'm to the world. And he does kind of another, uh, sorry, I missed one of my points. He gives like another word picture here. He says, they want to boast in cutting off a little piece. I want to boast in Jesus' big wound, the big wound, the crucifixion. I'm not boasting in a little piece of hurt flesh. I'm boasting in the crucifixion of the flesh. I'm going big. And so he does another little play on words here. The, the other note I had here was 1 Corinthians um, 3, 3-5, where in the Corinthian church, they had fallen into this idea of followers and leaders. And so the, the followers were boasting who their leader was. Well, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos. Well, <laughs> I follow Jesus. Ooh. And Paul says, all such boasting is evil. And this is the, so now he's coming at it from there. It was coming from their perspective. Now he says, and the leaders encourage this. And I don't. The only thing I want to boast about is what Jesus did. And that through Jesus' work, my relationship with the world has changed. I am crucified to the world and the world to me. Verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything. It doesn't matter either way. It's not just one is better than the other. No, uncircumcision doesn't matter. But a new creation, the inward, the change inside, you're made new. And he says, verse 6, 15, 16, and those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. This is the rule. Not circumcision versus uncircumcision, but the new creation, peace and mercy to you. That's what matters. This is the point. And he says, from now on, that's what we're going to do. So let's discuss this a little. This is the audience participation portion, as you know we do. So a lot of you have grown up in churches, not all of you. How, have you, how does ego and competition, that's why I wanted to do the thing with the kids as far as you know, on the same team, not playing against your other players, 
how does ego and competition destroy the goal of restoring sinners? Because that's how this started. If anyone is caught in a trespass, restore them, but not with ego and competition. How does that, how does that go bad? What are your thoughts? How does ego and competition destroy the restoring of sinners? Well, the hypocrisy. We, yeah, hypocrisy is a big thing because when we, we forget that we are one, and so it, it produces hypocrisy. What else? How does this go wrong? <laughs> Shh! <laughs> Isaac. It leads to self, how does it lead to selfishness so easily? Yeah, I look at my own self, my own ego. The minute I start feeling superior, what else? How does this go bad and, and, and dis- disrupt the goal of restoring sinners? I mean, the goal is to get people out of sin, to restore. How does it interrupt, Paul? Right, we're, we're all in this together and we lose that because now it's either or. It's me versus them versus it's us. We're in this together. Paul planted, Apollos planted, I watered. We're all part of the process. Not one of us is, well, look at, you know, and so we start. Well, yeah, and it can, right, if we're, if we're righteous in the church about it, but then we're not righteous out of that, it further muddies the message, too, because trying to maintain superiority is really hard because most of us aren't that good. <laughs> so we can fake it for a while, but then they catch us when we're not, and they're like, <laughs> that's a hypocrite, Caleb. <sighs> yeah, well, because I'm going to talk about yours, not mine. So yeah, so it encourages us to minimize or, or hide our own flaws, which comes back to then the hypocrite thing, because why are you jumping all over me? Well, because your flaws are not mine, and I like yours better than mine. Um, it also drives and it drives the person away. How, how many of us don't enjoy being corrected with a spirit of their superiority? I mean, who doesn't love that? Who doesn't love someone coming at you with, you know what, I think I'm a little better than you. I mean, what doesn't, that just warms your heart, doesn't it? I mean, you're like, I don't like you. <laughs> For no other reason, even if you're right, I just, I, it, drives, it drives you away. Beth. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> those people. Right, and so we can do it as churches too. If you didn't hear it, we can do that between churches too. And and this church is a little superior to that church because they both teach the Bible, but we teach it way better. Hmm. Yeah, 
it's, a, it's amazing how yelling at people doesn't draw them towards Jesus. Who, who knew? Yeah, so it becomes, it, using the Bible as a rule book, and so now I'm enforcing rather than restoring. It's not about restoration, it's about, which we'll come back to that thought in a minute. All right, let's add a second discussion, because it's been negative, so let's make it positive. How does gentleness and guarding self change things? How have you seen it done go well? How does gentleness and, and this, look to yourself, Barb. Gives you way more compassion, which again, we love very few people went, you know what, those people are way too nice to me. What is with that church down there? You know, I messed up and they were nice. Oh, I hate that. It could be something simple instead of saying, you know, I go to church every Sunday, so I must be doing better. To say to the other people, you must be a good Christian. Right, um, right. immediately, even just the attitude we choose. Right. Well, I was just talking to someone earlier about this and saying, you know, that they missed church one week and the pastor was like, so where were you? And it's like... Uh, I mean, yikes, right? And I'm like, was it me? Yeah, you're here. Yeah. <laughs> Other gentleness in guarding self. How does it help? What does it? What good? What good things does it do? It really helps us care for other people much better, and it and it it takes the it it takes the pressure off the fact that I, if I'm honest, I got a lot of work, I got a long way to go. Right, it doesn't discourage them, doesn't make them turn away. I had a kid one time who it wasn't even a sin thing, but it was definitely a desire of the flesh. He just talked all the way through my lesson. And so I went to him, I said, I love having you here. I'm so glad you're here. I just, but if you want to talk during the lesson, I'm going to ask you to leave during the lesson so that the guys who want to listen can listen. And then come back after. But it's not that I don't want you here, I just, the talking is, is messing things up. And because I took, went at him that way, he was like, oh, dude, no, I want to be here. I want to be here. I'll shut up, I'll shut up. I was like, well, I just, I'm not trying to get on your case. I just, the talking isn't acceptable for other people. And he's like, no, 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 I'm sorry. I, and he was like, eager because I wasn't on his case I was like I know I want you here and so this is a restoration all right a good discussion personally as a church so as we look at what he says here the first big thing is beware of trophy collectors because what happens is we end up in a situation where we can again like Paul warned elsewhere we can end up actually seeking leaders that are trying to create followers and 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 we, he says, beware of that, seeking to lock you up for their credit. And we have to be careful of that because there's still plenty of that going on in this day. And sometimes we are easily attracted to that. We're easily attracted to that. And he says, beware of people who are trying to collect trophies. Beware of leaders that are... And now it doesn't mean that like ever talking about numbers is bad. Okay? Luke in Acts... Luke routinely reports out numbers. This is how many were saved this week. This is how many were saved today. Oh, we had over 1,000 join our numbers. So Luke reports numbers, but notice what Luke doesn't do. Look how good we were because we were popular. 
The numbers, he doesn't turn the numbers into a reflection of the leadership. He turns the numbers into a reflection of God's glory. And so it is sometimes good to look at numbers just so we know what's going on, but it's not like, oh, you know, because this is like what Bev said about it can suddenly become a competition between churches because you could have a big church and they say, look at all our numbers, but why? Why, you know, what, what do the numbers mean? Is this about man's, oh, because we have the best pastor. Ooh, ah, 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 danger, danger, danger. It's, no, look what God is at work doing. This is about what God's work is doing. And so we have to be careful when it becomes about centered on a person and centered on leaders um, who are trying to collect trophies. Coming back to our walk with God, it's not about performance, but rather receiving and giving the sacrificial love of God. And that order is important because you cannot give the love of God, you cannot be loving, you cannot express the gifts of the Spirit until you have received. Because everything starts with God and then you. It's not I do and then God. If I, then God. If I'm good, then God. It's God did, so now I. You're always responding to the grace and mercy of God. And so it's not about how well am I performing and God's grading me. It's am I receiving and then in receiving, delivering back out that which I received, which is the grace and mercy of Christ's sacrifice. No greater love has anyone than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. The death on the cross is what fills us and fuels us and drives us forward. And so then, and this is why, so even, so the cross is the center, not our performance. It's about what he did, not what we do. So now, I'm going to back that up for a minute. Um, so when it comes to correcting, which is what this passage is including, so I just taught the church membership class this morning, and we looked at one of the things we talked about was church discipline. And I've increasingly become uncomfortable with that phrasing, not the idea of church discipline, but the fact that we call it church discipline. So when I redid the PowerPoint for today, I put quotes around church discipline. And part of why I put quotes around it is because it's not in the Bible. Matthew 18, you will not find the word church discipline. It's not there. The idea of church discipline, the way we have created the idea, doesn't exist, which is the parental model, right? Where the job is, is to, what is discipline as a parent? Well, sometimes it's a punishment. And as a parent, appropriately so. I mean, you can do it wrong, but it is appropriate to have what we call disincentives. Small children need them. Time out, spanking, whatever you do, again, properly. But it is appropriate to give children disincentives where, you know, you don't get the cookie. You, there's a punishment because they're children. And that's how they learn. But we have taken that model of parenting, we've translated into the church, for now, us as leaders and me as pastor, just call me dad or father. And you're my children, and if you mess up, I'm going to discipline you, which means punishment. And that's not in there. And that's the problem. We come where he says, listen, the problem is the minute you go there, you start feeling like you're better. Well, I'm the parent. No, you're not. You're another kid. We're on the same level here. Differently gifted and sometimes different accountability, but we're all in this together. That's why I love that Joey had that song this morning. We're all in this together. God knows we stumble and fall. And so what is church discipline? Is it to punish wrongdoing? No, it's to move forward together. 
It's not about enforcing behavior. It's about calling people out of destruction, calling them out of sin, which is harmful. And, say, and so the words, and if you go through Matthew 18, the whole point of it is, are you together in fellowship? And the, the ultimate failure in Matthew 18 is when they say, you are not. You have, you have distanced yourself from the body. You're outside because you refuse to come together. You refuse to give up yourself, which when you express yourself, that's the way that seems right to man, but ends in sin. And so the cross, where it says, I give up myself the way God gave himself up for me. I surrender myself. When, when, I, when I have a reoccurring sin issue, it's because it's all about me. And so therefore I cannot be about us because I'm too busy doing what I like, what feels good for me. And so church discipline isn't about discipline. It's about calling people out of that and saying, no, we're here to be together under God's work, not ours. And it's not about enforcing your performance. It's about warning you away from selfishness because when you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption, and we're against that. Not because we're legalists, because we're, we love you. Corruption's bad. Corruption will hurt you. It'll destroy you. It'll destroy your loved ones, destroy your family, and destroy your soul. And so instead, our focus is on the sacrificial love of God and the cross, not enforcing behavior. And then he says, so let us not lose heart in doing good for everybody. And especially for the household of God. He said, so we do it for everyone. We start here. But you don't end here. Some churches stop with themselves and they don't care for anyone else. And that's terrible. Most churches die. But it says, no, we're going we're gonna to love our neighbors ourselves. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. But we're going we're gonna to care. We're going to love and do good. Because again, nobody, nobody says, boy, they were way too nice to me. Boy, they were far too merciful to me. I hate those people. They're just, remember Jonah? God says, I forgive you. Jonah says, I knew it. You are so quick to forgive. You're always trying to forgive sinners, and I want those sinners punished because they're awful. And they were. But God says, but my goal is to try to restore. So our theme for this spring is engage. And it's about how do we come together as the body doing this? It's not about even, hey, I went to church, so good for me. Eh, I went to church Sunday morning. I win. Got my credit for the week. I don't care. God's not going, oh, you went to church. I'm so happy. But fellowship is good. Being part of one another. That's, it's our love for one another. And what did Jesus say? And by this shall all men know that you belong to me. That you love each other. And so we don't attend because attending is a good performance. It's not about a good show. It's about coming together, dying to self in the love of Jesus. And that's why the tagline is we're a community, not a collection. Attendance doesn't matter. Community does. It's not about, hey, I went to church, so I've got my brownie points for the week. That's useless. That's all you do coming here doesn't help you. But if it's to connect for one another, spurring one another on and caring for one another and gently restoring each other because we're all in this together, that is the church of God. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your patience with us. 
you are so patient. We are never deserving. And the longer we do this, we don't become better. We just become more aware that we're totally and absolutely dependent on you. We don't suddenly become morally superior. We just become more dependent on your finished work on the cross and more dependent on your grace. And Lord, hopefully we do become less selfish. But not because we've improved, but because we're better at dying. Because we've learned to try to set aside our constant selfishness and allow you and your selflessness that sent you to the cross, allow you to allow live through us because our lives are gone. They're hidden with you. And the life we now live is not based on our efforts at righteousness, which are just filthy rags. But the, now we boast on what you've done. And the only thing that we can talk about is how much you loved us and how every day we are dependent on your sacrificial love because you loved us enough to die on the cross, three days later rise again, defeat death, and now you live through us when we surrender. May we encourage one another with these words. May we help one another and be patient and gentle with one another, guarding against the tendency to start comp competing and measuring our righteousness against one another. But in humility, love one another and do good for each other. May that be who we are as a community here at Beams Corner. May it be what our reputation becomes as a church. And may those around us get a taste of that because our world is so angry and so divided and so us versus them. May we be a refuge amidst this terrible world of grace, love, peace, and mercy because of your love for sinners. Thank you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.